Hey, good morning, Revelation Church. Happy Easter. Uh, I'm here with uh, Spencer and John, and uh, we wanted to take a few minutes to um, talk about the Easter story, talk about uh, the resurrection of Jesus and why it's such an important part of who we are as Christians. Uh, so how are you guys doing? Good. It's not Easter. No, it's not. It will be. <laughs> On Sunday. On Sunday. The level of excitement's not there. It's, it's brewing. It'll be there. <laughs> It'll be there. For, what is it? It's, it's Maundy Thursday, right? Correct. Yeah. Everybody knows what that means, right? <laughs> I'm not Presbyterian, Zach. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, so I want to, we, we kind of, uh, we talked a little bit about um, the passage in John. We're going to take a look at John chapter 20 this morning. Um, so I'd like to just read that and then, um, then we'll pray and, and we'll talk a little bit about what's in here. So John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, John writes, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but it was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. And as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they have taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is that you are seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving the history of um, your early followers uh, in these accounts. God, we have, uh, we have four of these accounts that we can read about your resurrection from the dead. Uh, they read uh, not as fairy tales, not as um, fables, but as history. And God, I just pray that we would take them seriously this morning, that we would take them as such, that we would read them in the way that they were written to be understood. Um, and God, I just pray that as we have this very strange Easter Sunday at home, away from the gathering of your people, that we would lean into the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us today. 
God, I pray that the next few uh, minutes would be encouraging, would be helpful, and that uh, we would be guided by your Spirit as we discuss this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. I was reminded today that these are interesting times. <laughs> I was reminded by my wife that everyone's just a little out of sorts, a little on edge, a little anxious. Um, we were uh, we were talking about something that happened between you and I, Spencer, and I told my wife, I think Spencer's upset with me. And she goes, well, what did you say to him? And I told her, and she's like, well, obviously he's upset with you because you're, <laughs> you're a jerk. And uh, I was like, well, I was trying to be funny. And, he, and she said, well, nobody's, nobody wants to be funny because everybody's so freaked out and, <laughs> and twisted up and on edge. And, and I just, I, I was just reminded that like, yeah, I mean, as much as like things are okay, with me, I definitely feel like a little screwed up right now. Mm. Like the, the circumstances are just kind of um, just hard. I mean, and, and I know they're so much harder for so many other people, but, but just the whole, like I go to the grocery store and just the weight of shopping is, is heavy. Mm. And, and I, I, f I forget that, that like we're in the midst of this really, weird season like what what are you guys feeling this week with regard to just where we're at i think it is important to identify that there is that underlying lining tension that everybody's feeling right now and being aware of that and so when you have those moments that you kind of get upset where you normally wouldn't identifying it for what it is and kind of okay take a pause think about it and then move on even for people that aren't really under a lot of stress or duress during this season, uh, like everybody's still a little bit irritable. Everybody's still, uh, like you said, on edge. Um, and it's been frustrating is too strong of a word, but um, mildly frustrating of when you just see people freaking out or, you know, getting riled up over things that um, six months ago would have been nothing, you know? And so just a reminder for me, how can I, as a follower of Jesus, how can uh, my community of uh, Christians, how can we be a light during this season, even though we're all on edge, even though we're, we're still all going through the same thing, you know, what are the, the steps that we need to take to put Jesus first, even though we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow? You know, we don't know how much longer we're going to be um, asked to stay at home, how much longer we're going to be asked to stay six feet away from anyone in the world. <laughs> like, we don't know what tomorrow holds. And so, for those of us that like control, for those of us that like to plan things, like we're just spinning, you know, we're not sure where to land. We're not sure what to do. And so we're just taking it day by day, which is uncomfortable. Yeah. I think control is a big part of it. Cause if you're, I was thinking about this earlier, if, you, if, if you're reacting in a way to where you, you're shutting yourself off, like I'm, I'm going home, I'm 
you know, I'm deathly afraid of this illness. I'm not going to get it. Like I'm going to, you know, I, I, I'm going to disinfect every surface that I touch and I'm going to wear gloves and a mask and all, you know, and not that those things are necessarily bad safety precautions, but like you have a tendency to grab towards that as, as control. Like I, I am in control of my destiny because I will not let this thing get me. And then on the other side of that, I, I see a reaction that's like, this isn't a big deal. Like we shouldn't be, um, we shouldn't be social distancing. We shouldn't be shutting down our church services. We shouldn't be shutting down our businesses. This is, um, we need to stand up against that. Whether it's, uh, you know, some, some people would like to say it's a religious freedom issue, which I, I would I'd say it's not, um, or, or a, a just an American issue where we're Americans and we have these, these values that we hold to and this is going against our values. And that's a control issue as well. That's, that's me stepping out and, and saying like, I'm, I'm going to take my stand as a, as a Christian or a patriot or, or whatever my, my preferred badge of honor is and take control of the situation, at least personally and rhetorically that way. And, and then you go all the way to the extremes of it where you say like, well, you know, it's a ploy to get the president reelected or it's a ploy to prevent the president from being reelected or whatever, whatever you want to say, like, like it's this grasp for answers and, and, and control of the situation. And I think this is really helpful when we kind of try to enter into the story in John, because like Saturday night, the day before Easter is like the worst situation that these people have ever been in in their entire lives. They're all good Jewish men and women. They follow Yahweh. They're obedient to Torah. They're seeking for the coming Messiah. And they've put all their eggs into Jesus. And he's failed them. He's, he's, he died. The, the Romans killed him. And the hope that they've had, the future that they've imagined, the plans that they've developed have all completely disappeared. And I, I hesitate to put ourselves in that same bucket, but it's a very similar, uh, it's maybe a different intensity, but it's a very similar place of like, I don't know what to do. My whole life is up in the air and I have no control. That's where... <clears throat> I have to be careful because my natural tendency, I was actually talking with somebody today about that, is kind of letting the chips fall where they're going to fall. And so I have to uh, be aware that there's people around me that have that different perspective that you described, Zach, where it's just like now there's this complete unraveling. Like I do think that this story does have something to say to us right now because like you said they were in a position where they were like all right this is awesome like this is what it's all about we when jesus came in on the donkey there's the triumphal entry he's going to become the new ruler knock out the romans i mean this is going to be amazing let's watch this all play out and so you think that it's going one direction and then all of a sudden it flips 
And you're just left there going, what in the world just happened? And it was quick, too. Because, I mean, you think about it. I mean, it's just boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden, he's on a cross, and he's dead. And you're just like, what now? When we start with where we're at now, personally, uh, and, and if you're a Christian watching this, and you're saying, my hope is in Christ, um, that has to mean something in the real world. I haven't seen it so much this year because we've got other things going on, but typically around Easter, um, people come out of the woodwork and they, they say like, I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I just believe that Christianity is about the spirit of love or something. And I, just, I mean, I just have to say like, as, as we're all experiencing pain on some level because of this pandemic, the spirit of love is worthless if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. If, if as Christian, I mean, Paul says it in, in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christians are of all people the most to be pitied because we're putting our hope in just nonsense. And I think that's what I love about the gospels in general, but, the, but John's gospel is so, I mean, we, we read, about the, the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and that's John's code word for himself, which is both like super humble and super boastful at the same time, which I don't really understand. Classic John. Classic John, yeah. Um, but like he, you read it and he was there. Like he's writing a, a, an account of what actually happened. And there's all of these little clues all of these little details about what actually went down. And if, if we're gonna walk through a season that the American church maybe hasn't walked through in a generation of just, of sacrifice, of heartache, of fear, of worry, and we're gonna say our hope is in Christ, that hope has to be grounded in reality because whatever it is, the thing, when you, when you scrape down to the bottom, whatever you find at the base of your worldview, like has to be stable or, or you're just gonna fall apart. Right, right. When we have our routines or our rhythms or even things that we hold very dear, to our hearts, and then those are taken away from us for, you know, the safety of those around us, for public health, whatever. And we freak out. We <clears throat> respond uh, irrationally. Or, um, you know, I was texting with my brother today, and just the idea of, you know, even if the whole world falls apart, and we still have Jesus, like. We should rejoice. We should celebrate. And seeing people um, getting upset about, you know, us heading into the holiest week of Christianity and not being able to gather, how, how dare that be a thing, you know? And, uh, like, the truth is, nothing has changed with our relationship with Jesus. Nothing has changed the fact that our communities still exist, that we're still able to gather and encourage each other through video, through online services or devotionals or whatever. But, you know, Jesus is still speaking to us. He's still, you know, alive. He's still risen. And we can still celebrate that on 
the individual level yeah. more than ever. Well, and that's the irony of it, right? Like, the fact that we can't gather has no bearing on the fact that Jesus actually rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. And, yeah, I would love to have a big Easter service with the whole church. But that doesn't change the fact that Jesus is on the throne, that Jesus defeated death, that he conquered sin. Those are, those are things, if we actually believe they happened, the fact that we can't celebrate it in a big group has no bearing on that. And I think, like, like I read this week, like, domestic violence has, like, skyrocketed sure. around the world. Situational depression is on the rise. Anxiety, fear. And, and I think people are, people are doing that. They're digging down to the bottom, and, and they're not finding things that are helpful. Some people turn to things that society would consider useful and good. They just work harder or they, you know, exercise more or whatever. Some people turn to alcohol abuse or drugs or um, pornography or like whatever it is. Like if, if we don't have this foundation of Christ, it's all going to fly off the rails, you know? Right. So when I was reading it this week, and just, you know, Mary thinks that her Savior is dead. And, you know, we have Scripture gives, gives us a pretty detailed account, account of his work in her life, you know, removing uh, demonic oppression and possession. And, um, you know, she owes her earthly life to him because of the work that he's done for her. And she goes to the tomb alone to grieve to, I mean, I was reminded of when the apostles uh, tell Jesus, like, where else would we go? You know, and she's there. And I imagine in her mind, that's the thought of where else am I going to go? So I'm going to go to his tomb, to his grave and it's empty. And, you know, as she's isolated, you know, it's just, it's just her and the tomb just thinking about, our season where, you know, this Easter is going to be quote unquote lonely for a lot of Christians, but are we going to Jesus? Are we going to take uh, advantage of this time? Like you said, some people turn to good things. Some people turn to bad things, but we have a unique opportunity to really make this an intimate Easter with just us and Jesus, just our families and Jesus. And really, um, you know, as Mary did, go to, on Easter morning, uh, go to Jesus himself, you know, and find that he's not dead, but he is alive and he's still active and working in our lives in a way that she didn't think would ever happen again. Yeah, I'm hoping through this process that people work through that they actually do dig down deep enough to find out what is there, what is at the core, what, what is their hope in. Is it in people? Is it in stuff? Whatever they find their hope is in, is it in Jesus? Ultimately, I think you will find what you really do put your trust in, your faith in, your hope in through this process. So I'm hoping that people do dig down and really find out what's, what's there. Because like you said, if, if it's not Jesus, you're going to move to those different things. You're going to have a sense of fear. You're going to have a sense of loneliness. 
there's a lot of things. So when you see those people hoarding things on the television, I mean, that's a natural reaction that people will have. Remembering that God is in control and just allowing it to play itself out and trusting that God is in control, but then also looking around your circumstances and actually engaging with them. So not withdrawing and not being hyper fearful of the situation, but instead engaging, understanding that God is in control and you do have a hope and there is something there that can sustain you through this time. There's this idea of, of the women, the testimony of the women, the culture in the first century was such that women's testimony was not admissible in court, either, either in Greco-Roman society or in Hebrew society. That's a shameful thing, obviously. As a class of people, women were discriminated against in that way. And so there's this question in all four gospels, why are, why are the women the ones that discover the empty tomb? Why are the women the ones that go to, um, to share with the disciples, the men, the leaders, that Jesus is risen from the dead. And this is a really powerful piece of evidence for the authenticity of the Gospels. In, because if, um, you know, there's this, this argument that like the early Christians were just trying to create a religion. Um, what either they, they had some crazy, you know, um, conspiracy theory level plan or they just, they missed Jesus, they were grieving and they needed to come up with a way to understand the fact that he died. And so they um, make up this idea that he rose from the dead. And then in the accounts of the gospels, the women are the ones that find him. And this is um, problematic because if you're making up a story that you want your culture to believe, it's not helpful to use people that cannot be trusted as your primary witnesses. Um, I was thinking about what a, an example of this would be if I, if I told you Bigfoot was in my yard holding a sign that said social distancing works and you questioned that and I said, don't worry about it, Nora saw him and you know that Nora can't read then that, that, that I lose credibility there because how does she know what the sign says if she can't read? And, and so she's somebody that, that you can point to and say like, well, if you're, if you're using her in your story, it's not a very good um, story. There's flaws in it. And so the, the, the writers of the gospels would have come under the same kind of scrutiny. Like, well, who found Jesus? Well, these women. Well, you can't trust women. So the only reason that it makes sense for these to accounts to, to have this narrative structure is if that's exactly what actually happened. If Matthew and Mark and Luke and John are actually recording events the way they happened, there's no benefit for them to be lying here because um, the testimony of women wouldn't have been acceptable. And I love that that's, that's not only an apologetic argument, but it's also it's also a theological point about who God is. Like if, if God is sovereign, if God is in control of the events of humanity, he could have orchestrated the discovery of the resurrection of Jesus any way he wanted to. And what he decided to do, kind of what you were saying earlier, is he decided to go to this woman. This woman that he loved, that he cared about, that he had done all of this amazing work for, that loved him dearly. And they have this really sweet personal encounter 
where she doesn't recognize him until he says her name. And then she jumps down, clings to his feet. And it's this very sweet moment where he is healing her pain. And it doesn't matter that like, well, you know, shoot, you found me and it's not going to be as credible because, you know, we really should have had the men find me. Like he, Jesus just doesn't care about that kind of stuff. He cares about helping hurting people. And I just think that's really, this is just a really beautiful story of, of Jesus really caring about people. One of the uh, cool things that was, that I came across the other day in looking at this is if you read it, who did Mary suppose he was? A gardener. Who was the original gardener that God created? Adam. And so as you work through this process of the scriptures and Adam being our representation as man, as the gardener, he did not fulfill what God created or was able to accomplish through Jesus. Jesus fulfilled that peace. And so it's really cool to put those together and think about the plan that was instilled from the beginning. It wasn't something that surprised God and he's all of a sudden like, oh, okay, I'm going to send Jesus now. It was something that was planned well in advance. And so I just think that's a cool little note in there that she thought he was the gardener. And if you think about him as the gardener and the true gardener, how cool that is. And it came after he rose from the dead. So what he needed to do had been accomplished. And so now he is the new gardener. I thought that was a pretty cool little note there. Hmm. I've never thought about, about that, how Jesus as the second Adam really starts at that resurrection point, you know, and just uh, being the complete Messiah in a sense. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So as we kind of come to the end here, I, I, I want to take a look at, at verse 17. Jesus says some things that are kind of like, well, what are you talking about there, Jesus? Um, and I'll read it. He says, don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God, and your God. And I was thinking about this, it, and you guys probably have similar stories, but I just, I remember somewhere around my 18th birthday, there came a point when I was invited to call my friend's parents by their first names. Instead, you know, instead of Mrs. or Mr. It's like, no, call me Bill or call me Susan or like whatever, you know? And for a couple people, like that really started genuine friendships with adults that up until this point were, were the parents of my friends. And, and it, when I became an adult, it really changed the kind of relationship I had with them. And I think that's what Jesus is communicating here. He's, he's had this role as, as teacher, to disciples, as master, to servants. And those things don't go away, but he elevates his disciples to this place of, of friendship. Uh, Hebrews calls Jesus our brother. Um, 
you, you know, uh, he says earlier in, in, and I think it's in this gospel, that I, I, I have called you servants. I'm no longer calling you servants. I'm calling you friends. Um, and I think there's this really important point, and I think what Jesus is saying here is, don't hold on too tight to me because I'm going to ascend. And at the ascension, what happens, we, we get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends on Pentecost just a few weeks after this in the story. And the Spirit of Jesus comes to live inside of us as Christians. And it, it just institutes this whole new way of being human. Earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But Lazarus dies again. Like just the very next chapter, John talks about how the high priests are, are trying to figure out how to kill Lazarus because he rose from the dead and he's this big, like strong attention to Jesus. And so like this idea of a death threat against Lazarus matters in this point, but there's no death threat that could, that Jesus cares about. Like he's risen from the dead and he will never die again. And he's opened the door to a, a way of being a human being that is new and different and he's connected us to god in a way that's that no one has ever been connected before to be in this place where we are i think it's just such a huge gift for the church because it allows us to think through what jesus has done for us in ways that i don't think we would have thought at all had these circumstances not come to us i was talking with a a pastor friend today and he was joking about how like they're not going to be able to like do a helicopter easter egg drop or anything at church <laughs> on sunday and it's like you know what we, church is that <laughs> you know right i want to go <laughs> and, he, and i said oh yeah are you not giving away an ipad this year you know and, and, and we were joking but that's that's how we that's how we try to market the gospel like if you know and again like whoever runs across this video i don't know if you're a christian but if I'm trying to convince you that Jesus is valuable by offering you an iPad, run away. <laughs> like, like, that, like, that just misses it so badly. Like, the, the new humanity that Jesus is opening the door to is unlike anything anyone has ever experienced before. And he's saying, don't... Don't think, Mary, that things are going to go on as usual. I'm ascending to my Father, and I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and I'm going to empower you with supernatural abilities, and I'm going to spread that around my whole church, and you're going to go conquer the kingdom of darkness on my behalf. Because everything is different now. And I wonder how much we forget that when things are just business as usual. I mean, if we view every day, but particularly these days as a gift from the Lord, like what is going to happen in our lives when we open that gift? You know, what's going to happen with our walk with the Lord if we know we can get through, you know, a season that none of us have seen before, you know, relying on him. And I think that there's um, just a whole nother side to uh, humanity that a lot of us haven't seen walking with Jesus because the pressure really hasn't been there, you know. I'm really hoping and praying that during this time we come out of this with a quote-unquote awakening. And if we're doing what we've talked about and digging in, 
to it, spending time in the Word, praying, seeking God, using it as an opportunity to demonstrate Christ's love. I think we could really impact the communities that we're a part of, the nation as a whole, the world on a global church level. I think we can impact it in a way that we could see some huge transformation. I mean, obviously that's all through the work of the Holy Spirit, but I think this is a time that we could come out. And yes, we may not be able to do the big, exciting Easter, but we could come out of this and really long to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, there's, there's probably some people watching this that are that are Christians that would, that would, you know, are you a Christian? They'd raise their hand, you know, and they're, they don't feel reassured. They don't feel encouraged. Maybe they've always believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Maybe they've always believed that Jesus is their savior, but they're just afraid or anxious or, or whatever. And I think that's a gift of, of, of grace from God to say, Hey, maybe, Maybe if the things that are being stirred up in you aren't, um, you know, the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. What are the other ones? Gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I missed one. Kindness. Kindness. That's the one I missed. (laughs) We're leaving that in. Um, If that's not what you're seeing in your life, then, then maybe you're not following Jesus like you thought you were. And, and that, that's not meant to, to scare anyone, but just to say, hey, let's, let's take it seriously. And, and if, you're, if you're watching this and you're not a Christian, if you just like stumbled across it or somebody sent you a link or whatever, and you're dealing with anxiety and worry or, or whatever you're dealing with, like the reality is, is Jesus rose from the dead to conquer death and defeat sin, the Bible calls sin is brokenness, everything that's screwed up in you. And he has the power, he really has the power to change your life. And all that we have to do to access that power is just trust him and follow him and, and, and ask him for it, you know? And as we, as we wrap up, like I would just encourage anybody that is struggling, whether you say you're a Christian, whether you believe the gospel, whether you've been a Christian for, a, you know, 50 years or a day and a half, or, or, or you, you used to be and you're not anymore or whatever, there's a million different circumstances. Jesus's resurrection isn't something that you feel, isn't something that you you gather around because we have to celebrate the spirit of love. Like I was talking about earlier, it's something that actually happened and there's good evidence that it actually happened. The gospel of John is a great place to start, but if it actually happened, it's actually something you can stand on and hope in and trust in. And I would encourage you to do it. Nothing else seems to be working very well right now. There's only so much toilet paper you can hoard. And if you're confused by that, if you have questions about that, 
there's going to be a link in the bottom of this video that you can click and uh, contact somebody at the church. We would love to share more with you about who Jesus is and how he can change your life, how he can cleanse you from your sin and your brokenness and make you a new person like he was doing in the first century with Mary. I, re I read a lot of stuff about Easter and how it's, you know, the Easter season and the holidays and, and just the tone of the way it's reported is, is just like Christians gather for this party that they have and they can't have their party. Like, that's not what it's about. Jesus really rose from the dead. And if you're like, well, that's weird because that doesn't happen. That's right. It doesn't. It happened once. And I would just, I would just encourage you to put your hope in Christ. Put your faith in Jesus and, uh, and trust that he can actually change your life and make you a different kind of person. So with that, anybody have any uh, closing thoughts? I'm excited for this pandemic to be over. <laughs> <laughs> However, with that being said, there have been some pretty awesome moments with my kids and my wife. I will be honest. It, some of the moments that we've been able to share together have been pretty awesome. So I don't want to lose that. Like you were talking about Spencer, just that it's changed our dynamics. And so I don't want to lose some of those dynamics, some of those things we've built. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.